Hello and welcome back to the Two Kinking Women podcast, where we dish about everything kink. I am your co-host, Midnight Lady, and my partner is Mistress Gabrielle. And today we have a very special guest that we are excited to have on the podcast. And Mistress Gabrielle, can you let us oh, in on the Absolutely, my pleasure. My pleasure to introduce you to the legendary author, sex therapist, and longtime lifestyle dominatrix, Dr. Gloria Graham. Uh, Gloria's been a pioneer of BDSM fetish study, education, research, and advocacy for over 30 years. She founded the first online peer support forum for kinky people on CompuServe in 1987. Whoa, CompuServe, that brings back memories, doesn't it? Absolutely. And uh, she also published her first bestseller, Different Loving, with her co-authors, William Bram and John Jacobs in 1993. And I remember that extremely well. That was my go-to book. It really was. Since then, Gloria has maintained a passionate commitment to helping sexually non-conventional people overcome obstacles and find their joy. She's the author of nine books that take radically different approaches, nonfiction, autobiography, and fiction, to spread her gospel that sex and gender diversity are the true norms. Uh, also, and we're very glad to welcome her with this publication, she's just done a sequel to one of her erotic books, and it's called Amazon Hammer, and it is erotica. And uh, I think that's a really good place. Welcome, Gloria. Hey, everybody. Hello, two ladies, <laughs> two kinky ladies. Great to have you here. We are two kinky ladies for sure, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. And by having you here, Gloria, today, boy, I, 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 we are really thrilled. Um, I really wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, uh, the new book, Erotica, because I wasn't familiar with you as an erotica writer. And boy, this is really quite something. Um, in this book, Amazon Hammer, you tell the story of Jax. She's a woman who's grown up in a very dysfunctional family, very dysfunctional family. And uh, she meets her grandfather as a teenager. and She had thought uh, grandpa was dead. So she goes to meet him and her world changes, changes big time. Gloria, tell, tell, tell me, who is Jax? What does she find out about herself in the book? Well, Jax is part me and part my friends, my various, especially friends who've worked in the pro-dom business, but other femdoms too. So um, sometimes she's really me, but most of the time she's really not. <laughs> so, you know, this was a book that I wrote. Uh, it was my COVID book. Ah, I actually okay. had a nonfiction book I was supposed to write that I owe my publisher, but um, I just, you know, between COVID and the last presidency, I was pretty upset most of the time, you know, and I just wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a book. The nonfiction project was going to be another book about BDSM, but from a di very different perspective than the one that I wrote over 30 years ago now, because right. you know, it came out in 93, but I finished it in 1991. And wow, you know, that was uh, many journeys ago for me, you know, personally and professionally. So I had been planning to do it. And instead of doing that, I decided to kind of do it as a fiction book that also had, I hoped, great insights into the realities of living this life. And I picked a very glamorous character to live the life with, because for most of us, of course, we're not traveling around the world to have glamorous experiences in our choice of, you know, gorgeous fetish outfits. And most regular people can't afford you know that kind right. of stuff but um now she becomes so a, i wanted a, to give her she becomes a professional dominatrix in the book or she starts out as one. that's right she's 
No, she starts out as an unhappy girl who knows she's a weirdo and knows she's different from other people and knows she has really kinky sex fantasies and has found some sites online that have been really amazing and life-changing for her. But when we meet her in this book, she's barely 18. And mainly all she wants to do is just get out of her house so she can be free. And she doesn't really know what she wants to be or what she wants to do. And as you mentioned, she finds her grandfather, who she thought was dead because her family told her they were he was dead. And it turned out the reason they told her he was dead is because they made him dead to them because he was gay. Ah. And Jax finally tracks him down. And not only is he alive and well, but he's very happily married to a wonderful man. And they live a very wonderful life. And they're incredibly kind to her. I mean, they're shocked that this granddaughter that they really had never seen, except when she was very young, mm. you know, um, that that she showed up on their doorstep. But they loved her right away. And she felt their love. And that was different from what she had at home, where she did not feel loved by her mother. Mm. So she moves in with them and she begins to find herself. I she knows see. where she believes she's kinky. She believes she might be bisexual, but she hasn't tried it. You know, so within the course of a year or so, she starts to self-actualize. Right. And within two years, she decides that this is the kind of work she wants to do. Because it's so much fun and it's so interesting and it pays really well compared to what you know the kind of jobs she was taking i mean she she ended she applied for a lot of jobs and could you know the same experience a lot of kids have sure you know you apply everywhere no one wants to hire you you end up in some really crap retail job that you just hate that's right which was what happened to her and then this whole new door of opportunity opened to her oh it's uh, just by it's going a- to some club Right. So it's a voyage of self-discovery. and uh, It's a, a voyage, voyage of self-discovery yeah. and a voyage of learning about BDSM. So like in the course of her training to become a pro-dom and work at a club, you know, I get a chance to talk about the diversity fetishes, how everybody is different, how everybody needs something a little bit different to get off. You know, and she's busy taking notes on these things, which gives me an opportunity to write about um, what it's like, actually, when you're working as a pro and you're just dealing with all of these, to you, exotic clients, because everyone looks different, everyone acts different, everybody has different fetishes, some of which she did understand, some of immediately, you know, instinctively, and some which she didn't understand and really had to learn about to be able to do with clients. So that part is the education. Uh And as she evolves, and I think this is everyone's path, of course, she has a lot of wild experiences. Oh, I bet she does. But actually, I know she does. (laughs) I read it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. She has all these wild experiences, but at the same time, She's, and a point I want to make is that, you know, people tend to see us as one-dimensional. Like, if you're kinky, that's all you are. And her life is like everybody who's kinky's life. It's complicated. That's right. You know, her relationships are complicated. She has romantic failures that break her heart. Mm -hmm. You know, she continues to have a dysfunctional relationship with her mother, you know, um, after her father's death by suicide. You know, I mean, she has a lot going on that all of us have going on, which is how do you lead an ethical life? How do you find personal happiness? You know, and she's very aware of how people see kinky people. 
and the compromises that you have to make in the real world. But she makes a lot of good choices. She makes some disastrous choices, like a choice of to be with a client. You know, she mm -hmm. starts dating a client because he's very glamorous. He's a movie star. And she thinks, now I'll have it all. And of course, right. It doesn't work out the way she thought it was going to work right, out at right, all. So, right. and through that process, she, yeah, she becomes worldly and wise and saves up all of her earnings by just staying with grandpa, you know, living with her two grandpas. Right. right. And, you know, for a while. And, and they support her, you know, they support all of her positive choices. I would like to say, without judgment. Yeah. And that what a wonderful family. She was very lucky to be moved into this family. Yeah. So this is right. almost, so that, a, almost an example to me about what could be the possibilities in one's life. Right. Uh, and you don't know until you go out there and uh, uh, explore it, really. And so... Yeah, to, right. And for me, you know, there is an exquisite beauty in the chosen family concept that we have in the leather community where you have your leather family or your clan or your tribe. And you suddenly go from probably being considered a weirdo and not being treated that well, or maybe not having great relationships with your family, which is especially true of trans people these days, you know, and by going with chosen family, um, she finds a, a personal happiness she never had and feels complete even during periods when she doesn't have someone to love, you so, know? So Jax is a, a good example of, um, of, of where kink can take you. It can take you right. to a, um, a profession. It can take you to a chosen family. It can take a tremendous amount of excitement, love, um, friendships, all those kinds of things. However, let's let, let me, you you alluded to it a couple of times, so I'm going to bring it out. In terms of making compromises, how do you come out? Come out to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, without turning these people off. Because obviously, you have to make a choice at some point or another, or you have to make a compromise. Now, Jax doesn't compromise all that much, but I know that we, as human beings who live on this planet, we need to compromise. But is it a good idea to stay closeted? This is a very complicated and personal choice. It's more than anything a personal choice. You know, coming out was sort of foisted on me by having written that book. I, given my druthers, probably would have written it under a pseudonym because right. I was an English professor at the time. <laughs> and I knew it was not going to fly. You know, I knew I was going to lose my teaching job. And I, you know, I, I knew what the perils of being out was. And I did lose a lot of other opportunities, even freelance writing opportunities because I was yeah being a professor and writing for business magazines and that all went away, you know? And I feel that if you're going to come out, you should have a reason why you want to a strong and compelling reason. Like it can be as simple as I don't give a damn what anybody thinks about me. I want to do this for my reasons because I feel more authentic this way to actually feeling, which I also support. It's my sex life. Nobody yeah. needs to know what I do erotically. You know, do, do our parents tell us that they give each other oral sex? Hell no. So why is kink any different? Well, that's that how is, I feel about it. So I feel and, that, and I hear that. I think that's really good. I think that that it is always. What do you think, um, uh, ML? I mean, it's always a personal choice. But I think that what we're talking is like, for example, the, the huge amount of married men running around in the scene who want to have relationships, and not. I'm not talking about pro doms. 
they pretty much look down. The great majority of them look down. Oh my God, I got to pay for it. Well, yeah, I'm providing a service. So yeah, you got to pay for it. They don't want to. So they want lifestyle, quote unquote, lifestyle doms to, to, to be with, but they're married men and they're cheating. And that is to me, ethical, ethical lifestyle. Sorry, as a lifestyle person, that doesn't fit into my definition of, of, of ethical. But ML, what were you talking about in regards to coming out? Uh, someone that I listen a lot to, his name is Dan Savage. He's something of a relationship guru for me. He has a very interesting way that he describes it. And absolutely, you need to come out to your partner. There is no better person to come out to. I mean, sure, your kid's first grade teacher does not need to know you're a pro doc. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about your partner that you want to spend the rest of your life with. So his theory is, and I agree, it's very good. There's a way to come out to your partner in that you come out like you've won the lottery. Tell them like they've won the lottery. I love this thing and it's so great and I'm so excited and you get to share it with me. Now, if you come out like you have cancer, well, I do this thing and you don't have to do it with me and it's okay. They're not going to respond as well as if you tell them how excited you are by the thing that you are, this thing that you want to do, you want to be involved in kink or cross-dressing, whatever it is, tell them how excited you are and how excited it makes you feel and, and how excited they could be sharing it with you. Um, you know, even in the best of circumstances though, they can respond poorly. Yeah. It's a personal choice. I, I, I did it. It is a personal choice. But how do you hide that? from? Well, the here, it's also a personal choice, whether it's also going to be a personal choice whether you decide to deceive your partner for their whole life and yes. live a double life. And obviously, Gabby, I feel the way you do. Um, and I think that I don't want to be with people like that because I feel they're unresolved. And I don't want to be with a person who is unresolved. I want to be with the person who knows what they want and is self-actualized enough to go after it with some integrity, okay? And like you, I feel that's why pro-doms exist, to help out yeah. guys who, for whatever reason, are doing it on the down low. You know, you're never going to stop people from feeling shame about who they are. And uh, ML? Mm-hmm. How I would respond to the thing that Dan Savage said is, you know, that's a great approach to take when you don't know how your partner feels or you mm. sense that your partner is open-minded and willing to listen. But honestly, in therapy, I have worked with so many fetishists who've tried every approach, mm. including positivity or telling their partner yeah. And, you know, if that person is hardwired vanilla mm. and for whatever their own personal reasons, whether it's religious belief or their own sexual orientation, you can't make it sound great to them. It may sound great to you, but to them, it's terrifying and intimidating. And right. yeah, every yeah. now and then. I have had clients who came out to their partner and then I talked to the partner and the partner's like, what do I have oh. to do to keep him happy? And I'm like, okay, try this, try that. Yeah. And they're eager and willing because they don't have the inhibitions that the, let's say the kinky guy, the kinky husband had. And they're much more open than the guy ever thought. He's like, I can't tell her she's, I'm a submissive or she'll think less of me as a man. Well, if you're partnered with someone like that, and that's who they really are, they're never going to accept you. Right. And then you have some big choices to make, which is, yes. will, will I live a life in the closet and have a double life? Yeah. Or will I say, you know, 
I mean, the worst thing is when people try to force their kinks and fetishes on people who can't handle it. Oh, true. Or don't yeah. want to handle it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's not consensual. That's not fair. You know, and I've had a lot of guys who were like, my wife could be dumb. Can you make her dumb, more dumb? I know, she, you know, and the wife's like, she's not dumb, you know? Maybe she could be your service dumb, you know, like give you what you want, but you're going to have to engineer it all the way through. And, you know, you're not going to get that. I want my wife to force me into close. Right, right. <laughs> when your wife, really wants you to be the traditional husband slash man, according to the stereotype that you've been living up to. Right. So and it actually gets really complicated. It certainly does. Um, so all of these are conversations that you should have before you marry them and scramble your DNA and have kids. I think what you also have to realize is you, you know, another thing I've noticed about particularly kinky men, although I'm sure there's some women like this too, is that even if they're submissive, they still feel like their happiness is more, their sexual fulfillment is more important than the woman. Oh, so in other words, oh, they wow. They want her to tie them up and spank them and do all of this, but there's no give back. They're not going down. You know, if she's vanilla and what oh, she okay. wants is go down on me for two hours uh, after you rub my back. We have for a, a term half hour to put me in the mood. We have a term for that. We we have a term, and our term for that is a kink dispenser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Which is, which is what... Pro doms are right. Exactly. If you want a kink dispenser, if you want a woman to do you, what's her motivation? Right. What's her motivation to do you? I mean, this is a conversation I have with vanilla clients too. You know, it's like, what's your wife's motivation to feel sexy with you? You know, women operate very differently emotionally. We need to see signs of caring, signs of generos emotional generosity, mm -hmm. you know? And if you have a husband who just wants to be tied up and spanked and he's not going to return the favor by giving you your fantasy, whatever it might be, or your form of pleasure, why should she keep doing that to you? Right. You know? Why? She's not really getting anything out of it. Except maybe you saying thanks. That was great. Do you find uh, in your practice and in your experience uh, that submissive men come in with a preconceived fantasy from A to Z, do this, wear this, say this, go over there, come back, do, you know, like very specific, intense fantasy and they just expect you as the dominant to do everything they want to do. I don't think they have a sense of the true understanding of the dynamic. I know that Mr. Because Gabriel that's a very, right. It's a male. I mean, the whole, you know, the porn world and real life mirror <laughs> each other in that. It's all very male gaze centered yeah. or male centered. It still upholds. And that's why femdoms encounter a lot of sexism in the scene because men want us, to, you know, as you said, I mean, it's a, it's a lot better now than it was when I oh, was yeah. starting out. When I was starting out, people were like, what? You won't wear high heels and garters. You're not a real femdom. <laughs> Right, right. You know, where's your corset? Where's your leather? Where's your Right. And you have to look a certain way and hold yourself a certain way and say certain things, and you have to give them exactly what they want. And that is not dominance. That's performative. 
And again, performative sex, what's in it for the performer unless you're paying her to be entertained? You know, if you want to have your fantasy lived out exactly the way you want it, go pay somebody. You know, because yes. when you're with an actual femdom, it's a it's a mutual power exchange. Correct. It's a dynamic. That's right. Those are the words, the power exchange, going from one side to the other. Right. Now, there's risk. Of course, there's and, risk. Right. And I, I, I'll tell you, you know, high heels and stockings and a corset, ew, for me personally, being a former hippie, you know, why should I be uncomfortable so you can, you know, I'll do that for somebody I'm intimate with if they really, if I know that's the key right. to right. giving them a wild time. But that's a gift. Mm-hmm. that's a gift I give them and I give them the gift because I feel I'm getting a gift from them. Like their submission. Right. 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 And is that enough but for some people? That is enough. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's a personal you know, choice it, also. Or they don't understand, for example, why you want, if you're a dominant, why you won't dom them. Right. And my attitude these days, at the beginning, I played with everybody. I just was there, you know, it was so thrilling to me. I could, you know, anyone, anytime, you know, pretty much. But after a few years of doing it, uh-huh. I really wanted what I always wanted, which is a loving, connected, bonded relationship with somebody. Yes, I am. <laughs> I well, find, I feel um, like when guys, yeah. Oh no, I I find Did that I go on? Um, the I call that the thirty-one flavors. Baskin Robbins, thirty-one flavors. You want to <laughs> eat all? Th- you want to try all thirty-one uh-huh. flavors in like one evening? Um, and uh-huh. you're right. <laughs> yeah. So it it, but if you eat thirty-one flavors of ice cream for two years, you're you're gonna start to not feel so good. Yeah. And you're going to want, you know what? I don't need to eat 31 different flavors. If I could pick out a few of my favorite flavors and just eat those, then my life is full. So at what point do you see... um, Go go ahead, Gloria. I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to say that, you know, people put BDSM in some special cult-like framework where there's something that everybody is supposed to do. And that's not true either because we are a diverse community. There are young people, there are old people, there are middle-aged people, there are white people, there are brown-skinned people, there are people who come with all different kinds of cultural backgrounds. So it's not one size fits all. But to me, you know, when a stranger comes up to me and he he wants me to do them. I feel like, how is that different from like seeing me on the street and telling me you want to fuck me and being angry that I won't fuck you? Absolutely. Because to me, dominance is my sex life. That's right. That's right. Right. Now, so this, that, that doesn't yeah. necessarily hold true for everybody, though, because I think there are a lot of people where sex is not part of the uh, 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 of their kink dynamic. Does it have to be? Does sex have to be nope. part of it? Or is it because we are sharing this intimacy? I mean, we're, work, we're, we're playing with people who are naked, okay? And mm. we're barely dressed ourselves. When I say that BDSM is my sex life, what I mean is that I actually get more pleasure out of dominating someone than out of vanilla sex. Mm-hmm. Vanilla sex is not any kind of an important component to me in play power dynamics there you go yeah now i tend to agree with you gloria this is this is, uh, this is something i've always said uh, i've had uh, other uh, femdoms uh, friends of mine say i can't I, I don't understand where you're coming from but sex to me uh the actual act of sex or whatever was always not necessary within you know whatever scene or whatever it was I was doing, unless, of course, you wanted to wait until you went home. Today, in today's world, in today's party world, dungeon world, even uh, uh, home basement dungeon world, um, 
sex seems to be very ordinary. It's happening. It's happening everywhere. Uh, I've seen it at events. I've seen it at home parties, house parties. And I think to myself, hmm, that's an interesting take on it. And it's not necessarily young people or old people. It's just people, people doing it. Right. Years ago, you couldn't mm-hmm. do it. You couldn't do it anywhere, w- which was a public event. Okay. Or God forbid, anywhere they sold alcohol on the premises. Okay. Even right. if you were in the big ballroom during a humongous event, it didn't matter. And the bar was closed. Didn't matter. You still could not do that. So today seems to be a little bit different. Things have have, um, uh, lightened up in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But still, people do think that, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be sex, whereas I don't necessarily think it has to be sex. Yes. So (laughs) I got my start in kink in the scene in 1997. And those years, late 90s into the 2000s, Sex was, according to our scene in Jersey, like the part that the part of the scene that I was involved in, was there was no sex. There was no intimate touching. There was no sex. It was all kink, um, BDSM, power exchange. And then uh, we moved to be closer to my husband's family. We moved to Pennsylvania, uh, to the capital here in Harrisburg, and we re-entered the Harrisburg you know, this area uh, scene. And the first play party that we went to, the, we saw people having the sex, having a lot of the sex. <laughs> and we were like, whoa, what What did we miss? We didn't get the memo uh, that sex was now okay. And for me, I was like, oh, yeah, baby, sex is on the table. <laughs> That's awesome, because now I don't have to wait to go home to orgasm. And that becomes part of the scene for me, is master, can I orgasm? Master, can I masturbate? Master, can I, you know? So it's part of the, you know, power. No, no, not yet. You know, you have to do this yet, or we have to do this yet. So the concept of, yeah, sex in the scene, hell yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. I, I feel that for me, I, I it's hard to draw the line between what's kink and what's sex. Because kink to me is sex. I get aroused doing dominance. Right. Right. That's a thrill for me. And I don't need to come in the moment. I love that buzz, that high. That's, I go into my kinky sex face in my head yeah and so does my partner right and it's just a question of what you want to include you know what your thing is what you want to include if you want to include things like oral or anal or vaginal penetration go for it but for me I again have always been a person that kind of reserved that for people I loved gotcha Gotcha. As do I. And that's because I was like, you know, that 31 Baskin and Robin flavors, you know, I was super promiscuous as a teenager and through my 20s. So I've been with all the people, you know, and I've had sex with scores of people or more, you know, and it never got me off the way BDSM did. And I always wondered what was wrong with me. I mean, it's not that I didn't have orgasms, but I entered a whole new level of erotic arousal and unreal orgasms when I got into B. you know, when I officially got into BDSM. I mean, I always tried to do a little bondage with guys, but vanilla guys, meh. (laughs) Truly not. So, That's I mean, I decided at some point I'd only be with kinky people, but there's, yeah. you know, I am fully satisfied doing a scene and I like to masturbate. So, you know, it works out well for me. Yeah, Gloria, I have, you know, that moment you feel like you realized that you're kinky was, was for me, I see a good looking guy, you know, I don't think, oh, I'd like to fuck him. 
I see a good looking guy and I said, Oh, I wonder what he would look like strung up to a St. Andrew's cross. <laughs> well, you know, what would I do? Oh, I could spank him. I could paint him. That's like my, like, you know, yeah, like I, I remember when I was, you know, 13 and 14 and masturbating. It wasn't, you know, or falling in love with guys, even getting crushes. I never fantasized about fucking them. Yeah. Ever. Yep. You know, that was not important. You know, I mean, I wish I had known that before I tried to lead this long, you know, 10 years of vanilla sex, you know, until I mm -hmm. realized that it was kinky. Because mm -hmm. uh, I should have recognized a little, you know, Tease and torture fantasies and my kidnap fantasies and all of those things. That's yes. when I orgasm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, absolutely. and yeah. it's not that I didn't like doing other stuff. And if I really like somebody, I'm happy to, you know, and if he's really hot to me, that's that changes everything. But, you know, if you're out at a club, how many people are really going to have that effect on you? Mm, mm -hmm. I don't know. And Very I think, true. and I've observed the same with many of my friends who are like closer to my age, you know, let's say past 60, you know, that the thrill of a new person is not that thrilling anymore. It's actually feels sort of like work, you know, <laughs> Boy, is that the truth. Uh-huh. Right? Mm -hmm. And what is fun is being with somebody you know you can trust and where you can rely on having a great time with them. Right. Yeah. And then you just want to do them or how many of them there may be, but yeah. you want to do that person or that group of people. Right. To me, the, you know? the, the power exchange, the, the actual power exchange of having uh, someone, man, woman, doesn't matter, who is uh, uh, on their knees for you and willing to do these things for you uh, by virtue of turning over their uh, uh, consent to you. I, I, there's nothing more exciting to me. It just it's it's right. fabulous, absolutely right? Fabulous. Exactly. And in, in in a in a BDSM context, I am pansexual. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care about your age. I don't care what equipment you have between your legs. It's about the power exchange. Are you obedient? Do you take my power seriously? You're going right. to do what I say. Right. You're going to let right. me do stuff to you. Right. That's what really matters. But in my bedroom, I definitely prefer men. Gotcha. Yeah, I do. So I, 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 think, I think I do recognize that from a lot of people. Yeah, that I mean, I think I'm that way, too. I love playing with people, people, whatever it is, just people. And uh, we take it from there. Right. You know, we take it from there. We yeah, I'm, I'm but I think of myself as but I think of myself as queer. I'm bi flexible. I have a female partner now, permanent partner, who was part of a triad that I had when my husband was alive mm -hmm. and now it's just the two of us. I'm very happy living with her and doing s and with her. Uh-huh. That's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, Gloria, can I ask you to put on your sex therapist hat for a second or you're always wearing your sex therapist hat. So I'm going to ask you about this. Okay. Um, tell me something in your uh, opinion, being a professional, um, do do kinksters, people who come out in the scene or people who play in the scene have more trauma in their childhoods um, than people who are not attracted to BDSNM? No, and I have data. Go ahead. No, that was my, actually, my PhD research study was uh, a demographics portrait of the community at large. And what I... I think what you don't realize is that an awful lot of people have had trauma in their lives. You know, I mean, there are estimates. I don't know if it, there was at the time I wrote Different Loving, there was an estimate that like, or I'm sorry, Come Hither. At the time when I wrote my book, Come Hither, there was 
um, data that 94% of all people feel that they were abused as kids. Mm-hmm. And that could be their parents were alcoholic or the parents were narcissists or they were punished a lot or they got spanked a lot, you right. know, in the South. Wow. You know, it's still a, a standard even in schools. Yes, There's it is. corporal punishment in the South. So yeah. a lot of people have grown up to believe that there was trauma and then not to mention I mean, almost all of the clients who've come to me for sex trauma were people who were abused by family members and who are not kinky. Mm. So my perspective is that, unfortunately, there's so much more domestic violence, child abuse, and sexual exploitation of children out there in the world that what is interesting and awesome about our community is that the people who've been there recognize it, are conscious of it. They own the fact that they came from a screwed up place and they do everything in their power to live a different life with their own children. So for example, almost everybody who came from an abusive background when I ask them, what about now? Now, even though they were in consenting power relationships, they were amazing parents. Right. They never gave their kids corporal punishment. Right. They had punishments, but never physical punishments. In other words, they understood better, I felt, through the process of BDSM, about dignity, respect, consent, even to little kids you know, allowing them some agency, not trying to attack their personhood and keeping them away very often from the world of kink, lest the kids misunderstand what's really going on because kids don't fully understand about consent, in my view, usually right. until their 20s. Yeah, yeah. I take. I think it takes when a while. Adults. So let me ask you this question. Do yeah. you think that there are people, that there are kinksters in the scene who use the scene as therapy? There are two ways to use the scene as as therapy. One is very positive, and one, I think, is a mistake. So one way is to think that whether or not you're kinky, if you go and you get that spanking, it's going to fix you. It's going to repair everything. Um, because you're going to feel news. I don't agree with that because none of us really know how we're going to react to BDSM until it happens. And you could walk away from experience like that even more scarred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think that for those of us who are wired this way, it's not therapy, but it's therapeutic. It's like I I garden. It's very therapeutic for me. When I'm pissed, I attack my weeds. You know, know, when I, you know, I, the physical effort of it, the the whole process of it, I find it very emotionally healing and relaxing, like Zen yoga, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But does it answer my life questions? No. No. Right. Does it? change me into a different kind of person? No, it just relieves my stress. So I think for those of us who have done this for, I mean, I feel like I've been healed from a lot of my childhood trauma because I did have a, my parents were Holocaust survivors. They were very screwed up, a very screwed up, unhappy childhood and teen years that threw me out into the world looking for love from anybody, you know, gotcha. that's I ended up sure. so promiscuous, right? Sure. And BDSM, and particularly owning it and not being ashamed anymore of who I was and what I wanted was enormously powerful for me, for my ego and for my view of myself. And in that respect, Yes, it's super therapeutic. 
for those of us who are really into it. But I don't believe it's any kind of a miracle cure. It's really something that occurs over a long period of time. The more you know about how to negotiate well, right? Oh, absolutely. How to negotiate and, limits. And we, we feel very... The more um, you feel good about it. Yes. And we feel very, very, very good. Like you said, the power exchange, powerful and positive about ourselves when we do uh, indulge in the power exchange, because all of a sudden, yes, we have what we didn't have before. And now we have it and we're going to use it in the right way. And um, um, and it's that right way that really makes the difference. That's right. Right. That's right. So like this is true for doms, but it's really true for subs, too. You know, if you're an unfulfilled sub, you may end up being very self-destructive because that need in you is going to express itself at work, in your relationships, maybe. Poor choices in you know, general. You feel yeah. real. Poor choices. Because Poor you choices. feel really disempowered and helpless. Right. Oh, and I think that once you own your submission, you know, and you know what you want, and you're with a partner who's going to give it to you, and you're going to feel great afterwards because they really, you know, they give you aftercare, and they praise you, and they give you that thing that you always wanted to have, which was not just the physical reality of being with, but the entire scenario around it. You're doing it with somebody who isn't going to take you really further than you want to go. You feel safe. Mm -hmm. You know that they're doing it because they care about you or they even love you. Even if it's just for the length of a scene, you, you know, you can have that feeling. And boy, when you're in a relationship like with ML, like you and your husband, you know, it's just an enrichment in that relationship that makes you feel like, fuck yeah. Yep. I'm not giving that power to anybody else. I don't have to. I have this one person that gets all of my submission and masochism, and they can handle when I say, I'm helpless, help me. You know, my, my sub will do that sometimes. You know, she's not helpless. She's, a, she's an ass kicker in her own right. But when she's with me, she can be that person. That person, she can't be in the workplace or with her family. But with me, she can frap out if she needs to. She could cry if she needs to. You know, she can ask me to, you know, to be the adult when she can't handle it, you know. And it doesn't change my opinion of her in the slightest. It doesn't make me see her as a less powerful person in the world. It's because these, this is our compact. Right. She right. gets to give up power to me and I take on that responsibility. I'm happy to do it for her. Yeah. And that's the ideal relationship. That's it. That That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. And going back to what I said before, for those of us who uh, won't tell our, uh, if you're a guy, your wife, or if you're a girl, your wife, if you're a man, your husband, if you're a female, your husband, who you really are, you're missing so much. You are missing so very, very much. But, and, you know, it is a personal choice. People are going to have to make up their mind. Let me ask you something else about personal choices. You know, we like to say in the scene, and if you would keep your sexologist therapist hat on for a minute here, we like to say in the scene, my kink's okay, your kink's okay. The question I have is, when is it not okay? When is it okay in uh, a, um, uh, a play party or even at a munch or something like that when somebody's talking to somebody to say the way they're operating is not okay? My kink's okay, your kink's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. In fact, uh, it's pretty dangerous. And uh, I think uh, the two of you ought to stop. But I'm not a dungeon monitor. And uh, I can't stop you. I can say something to the dungeon monitor. But the dungeon monitor is going to say to me, listen, um, uh, you know, they seem to be okay. Neither one of them wants to stop the scene. And I say to the dungeon monitor, well, uh, there could be a real issue here, but I don't do anything at all. So when is your kink not okay? 
Well, of course, um, if it's not fully consensual on both sides, that's what I, I would mean, say. I mean, rather than, you know, SSC, but I would say more of a risk-aware consensual kink model. Mm. You know, if we don't choose our fetishes, we don't. The fetishes choose us. That's how it feels. You know, and I believe that fetish formation, like kink formation, is actually something that kind of happens in childhood. And through a combination of who you were born to be, because we do have growing evidence that things like kink might be uh, genetic based, but then everything changes depending on how you're nurtured, right? So, for example, why do people have foot fetishes? Probably at some point earlier in their life, they were exposed to feet in a way that made them very excited. You know, maybe somebody tickled their bellies with their toes. And that was so relaxing and joyful for the kid that from then on, having a foot close to him brings back that urge. And maybe it happened at a period in their life, which generally begins around two, when uh, they had no idea what sex was, but they had a feeling of excitement about it. You know, like prepubescent intense interest. Like right. if you remember as a child, like, I fell in love with Spartacus when I was like five. So did you. you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, I didn't know why for years, you know, but when I became a kinkster, I'm like, oh, the bondage. It was him being tied up and captive and put in these prisons and humiliated there by the soldiers. All of that absolutely excited the shit out of me. And I watched all of the kind of as a kid, you know, all of the Buddhist, you know, um, what do they call them? But the, you know, like the, the Harlequin's version. <laughs> you know, the women's being ravished or, right. you know, people being tied and whipped on ships, you know. I knew it was bad, but it was really interesting. You know, I, don't, I didn't know yeah. how to put it, you know, because I was, I was little. I didn't right. even know people had sex at that time. I was shocked when I heard what, what sex was. You know, yeah. I had no idea. A man does what? He does what in your body? No, my parents never did that. Not possible. Okay. <laughs> but it's, even then, at that age, tell me a pirate getting whipped? And looking really humiliated by it, and that was my movie. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so we we live in that pre-conscious place. Okay, but back to when is your kink not okay? Obviously, if your partner is not into it, <laughs> you know, if you haven't negotiated it. Um, and otherwise, because we don't choose our fetishes, the next thing is, does it harm anyone? Does it cause harm to anybody else? So there are people, for example, who, and this really pisses me off, who really are um, critical and judgmental and even hateful sometimes about the uh, adult diaper fetish. Right. Or the little, the littles community. Right. You know, which those I also are, um, a lot now. Those are people who um, uh, imagine themselves within a scene and sometimes beyond the scene, sometimes 24-7, right. to be children, right. to be under right. uh, they like under an adolescent age, a uh, prepubescent age. That's pre what they like. Even younger than that, you right. know, like in diapers. Right. Baby, right. And they like to mentally regress. That's a yeah. big thrill, too, to, to be able to inhabit that space, which is no better nor worse than somebody who wants to inhabit the space of uh, being a slave in the dungeon of a cruel person, which is pretty much what everybody wants. But I visited real dungeons in Europe. 
where people were genuinely tortured. Oh, yeah. I've seen the Inquisition yep. tools. Yep. And that's not hot. That's not sexy. That's just horrible. So, you know, it's, the, you know, it's not like uh, people who love diapers and love regressing want to, some of them do, but that they want to be in that space 24-7 and not have jobs. You know, right, right. just like everybody else, every right. other fetishist, every right. other BDSMer, we're all a combination of different personalities, right? I think I think that's of- really true. Yeah, I think that's really true. The combination of a lot of different kinds of personalities. Sometimes people would look at me and say, you are probably the most extroverted person I know. But I know I'm not an extrovert. But that seems to be the what, what people think. And that's the, the thing that, I generate when I'm around a lot of people, but when I'm not around a lot of people, I'm very happy. But anyway, a lot of friends of mine would not agree with that, but they don't really understand those different aspects that they come into play from time to time. Not all the time, but from time to time. Right. True. True. It depends where you're at. Right. right? And every look, every single day of your life, you almost everybody plays several different roles you're one person at the supermarket you're one person at a neighborhood get together or town meeting you're another person when you deal with your parents your children your relatives you're another person if you're taking classes and you're a student you're a totally different person when you're teaching you know and on and on it goes and the same applies to our sexual persona. You know, you can be the most submissive person in the bedroom and the most powerful person somewhere right. else. And there is no contradiction because or we are all even, capable, you know, the. You can even be a switch. You can yes. be a switch. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. Laura, we're running out of and time and we don't want to keep you over too much, but I just oh, wanted to ask okay. you about one thing which I'm finding myself kind of interested in this topic, which is BDSNM, DS, uh, SNM, whatever you want to call it, in the mainstream. Do you think that what it is that we do has become too commercialized and that that is taking something away from the, I don't know, is there a mystique? Is there uh, something, you know, evocative about the scene that we're ruining by making it too commercial? (laughs) okay this has been a question you know when i wrote different loving there were people who objected to the publication of different loving Mm. because they felt that it should all be and stay a private underground and that by sharing it with the general public i was diluting it there you go diluting the great mystery of bdsm So how do I see it these days? On one hand, I think it's a really positive thing that we're not being demonized anymore. I think it's a really positive thing that it's trendy enough that psychologists these days do not automatically look at you as pathological. Good point. I have seen so many people who were damaged 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, I have a client who, you know, um, yeah. So, and in that sense, I am very relieved that we are now able to have great big conversations about what it is that we do, that we are known for education, we are known for innovative thinking about sex, certainly the issues of which my book, I know different loving kind of opened up, which has made people question what it really is normal for humans rather than just assuming that they knew what was normal. Right. And that normal was this one Judeo Christian idea of what normalcy was. Um, Of course, the downside is that there's been a deluge of, clueless people and people who were too lazy to get educated or people who are too arrogant to get educated about it, who come in with their own assumptions and make it very hard for 
the sense of safety and peace that we used to have in the scene. You know, that everybody was there for the same reasons or maybe, you know, hopefully for the right reasons. Um, So it's always a mixed bag, but there's nothing we can do to control that. Because the reality to me is that every very sexually, you know, and by very, I don't mean doing a lot of people, but anybody who's an adult and has a good amount of sexual experience is going to run into people who are kinky. Yeah. Or Absolutely. people who want to do kinky things. Right. Whether it's as simple yeah. as just let me kiss your feet. Right. It's true. Do you have another question, Joe? Just, before you know, we... hold your hands. Yeah. No. no I... You didn't have another question before no. we end? No. No, no. Okay. I've gone so. everywhere. <laughs> In one hour. <laughs> and I'll tell you. So, I think- you know, I mean, there's, it's sort of like, you know, we used to be a lifestyle that was very centered on master-slave relationships. Now master-slave relationships are really a minority. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? And we have to have our own special group. <laughs> That's Just right. to meet with other people who believe in master-slave. That's because right. if you go to other places, then you might be criticized. That's right. That's right. You know. So anything, so we can, are, anything could make you uh, an object of that kind of criticism. Absolutely anything. Right? right. So essentially what we need to do with this is um, be thankful for the fact that it is in the mainstream and maybe teach the mainstream a little something about Like I am very, very conflicted right now about coming out, but I'm going to have to do it uh, in my little I don't think everyone has to come out to be no, effective. But uh, as somebody who uh, co-produces a podcast like this, I am ready to do it. And hubby no longer uh, teaches, so we don't have to worry about that. Uh, so in any event, yeah, I am, I am super um, excited about the idea, but I'm planning it. I'm not running out there right now and, and walking around with a with a placard that says, Hey, I'm kinky. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I think I think it's a good idea to take it slow. Right. You know, what I recommend to my clients who want to come out is first talk to your best straight friend. See how they react. Or a couple of them. Talk to a couple of rest uh relatives you're close with. See how they take it. If they can handle it, you have to think about it well, you know. I mean, I was cut off by my f- biological family. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, because they were very conservative. So yeah, it is a risk, it's a risk. It's you a know, risk. and I didn't have a choice about timing it or slowly coming out to anyone. It was like the book came out and there it was. Yeah. yeah. My name was there on it, it was. you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Boy, this has yeah. been this has been uh, quite so wonderful. quite a wonderful. Absolutely. Boy, I want to thank you so much for coming on with us today because you I know so that welcome. not only um, have uh, has, has this conversation been enlightening to me personally, but it's also I'm sure going to be the same for our listeners. So I want to yeah, I thank you so. again, legendary author, sex therapist, and longtime. <laughs> Lifestyle Dominatrix, Dr. Gloria Ram. And I want to remind everybody that her latest book is called Amazon Hammer. It's, a, it's uh, available at Amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles, and many other bookstores all over the place. And uh, don't forget about uh, GloriaBram.com, GloriaBram.com slash blog. Uh, Gloria is also on Twitter, and she'll set you up with a free newsletter. If you go up to her site and you sign on. Speaking of free newsletters. Speaking of free newsletters. So if you have any questions or comments about anything that you've heard today or in our past episodes, please feel free to email us at tkw at twokinkywomen.com. That's the numeric two. tkw at twokinkywomen.com, where you can sign up for our free newsletter and get your downloadable Beginner's Guide to Kink, uh, which has all kinds of interesting information and uh, stuff to get you started in this great world of kink. 
And then each month as each episode is download, each episode is released, you also get another email um, with another free downloadable that has something or whatever to do with kink because uh, I love to make graphics. Can, so. you, can, you, can you think of anybody who likes to make more graphics <laughs> than Midnight Lady? I can't. I've never seen anybody do so many graphics in my life, but they're great. And if you're not getting them, you're missing out. So please uh, feel free to reach out to us or us or Glory if you have any questions or comments. And we thank you for coming and we thank our listeners for listening. And we can't wait to. And we absolutely cannot. We absolutely cannot wait to see you next time. Thank you. We are two kinky women. And we'd like it if you'd be kinky too. too. (laughs) Bye-bye.